Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. everyone. I just wanted to quickly jump in here and mention that there is a way for you to support me keeping this podcast and all my other free resources going by donating a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sassy sober mum. Helping people is a huge passion project for me And as my audience grows, I'm understandably spending more time helping people, replying to messages, creating and updating content and building this podcast. All donations are gratefully received and they really go a long way towards covering costs like my Zoom license, my hosting fees, managing my website and not to mention my time. So... If any of you are loving the continued content and wish to support me, please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sassysobermum. Or you can click the link in the bio section of my Insta page and find a button there to buy me a coffee. Thank you. And now let's get stuck into this week's podcast. Hello, welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I have Dawn from Nuneaton. Uh, so she's a fellow Midlander because I'm from Leicester and that's in the Midlands. Um, Dawn has been sober for four months this Friday. Um, so that is absolutely amazing. Congratulations, Dawn, and thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much. Hi, everyone. I think four months, I wish it was longer, but I've taken it a day at a time and absolutely love the sobriety. So it's really nice to be able to come on and chat to someone else who does. Ah, uh, we well, are very welcome here because that's all I pretty much talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we uh, get to know you a little bit, Dawn? Tell us a bit about who you are, what, what you're interested in. And yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, awesome. So, yes, yeah, so I'm Dawn. Uh, I'm 26, nearly 27, nearly there. Um, I have a gorgeous little boy, uh, Connor. He is uh, just turned four last month. Um, I'm starting my nursing degree in September um, with the hope of being an A&E nurse. And I had, yeah, I guess not too much interesting stuff, pretty bog standard. Um, but yeah, just family girl. Um, and to be honest with you, I think my biggest hobby is sobriety. I love being with sober people and talking about it and, you know, taking that time to think I'm so happy to be sober. <laughs> oh, I, I really relate to that. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, sometimes I feel like, am I going on a bit too much? <laughs> Probably my husband would say, yes, a little bit too much. <laughs> but he's had just over three years of it. So, uh, yeah, so I think he's had his fair share. But it is, you know, it is... It's like a new passion, though, isn't it? When you sort of, you've been in a dark place and obviously we will understand more about your journey in a moment. But when you've been in that difficult place and you sort of find your way through 
um, the jagged edges of early sobriety. Mm -hmm. And you get to that point where you really start to feel the benefits and feel the gratitude um, it's difficult not to rave about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like a whole new me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So why don't we understand um, a bit about your relationship with alcohol? Um, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so um, my relationship with alcohol was quite bog standard to start with. It only kind of took a bad turn the last say, year or so. So I started, I think I had my first drink about 15. 16 and um, wasn't one of these that kind of had it and was like Jesus my life is made it, it didn't really it was kind of neither here nor there um, but then I kind of I did like going out 18 19 and then I went away I worked as a children's rep with Thomas Cook and you can imagine that was you know didn't matter what day of the week it was it was booze o'clock and um, so I loved that didn't really get into much bother with it you know just the normal 18 19 antics um, then I think I was 19 and I met my son's father um and he's Irish so he could he loved a drink as well um and I think my drinking started waking up a little bit there with I would seem to black out a bit more I wouldn't remember a conversation I wouldn't maybe you know oh I don't know how I got home or oh I've lost oh my big thing was I've lost my bank card my poor my bank actually threatened to start charging me for lost bank cards because I would ring them so much saying can I have another one it was just my thing I probably gave it to strangers like here help yourself so that was kind of when I think it changed slightly a gear um and then I had a bit of a, a bad time and I think that you know, we forget drinking the depressant. So it's no surprise when I had a bad time and my mental health was low, well, probably the worst thing I could do was drink a depressant. And so I I split up from Connor's daddy and came back to England, um, which didn't go down too well. And there was a bit of a kind of back and forth because Connor was born in Ireland. So um, his dad bought a court case against me to to relocate Connor back to Ireland where I then had to do court so because of lockdown I was there 11 months so just in a flat I didn't know anyone in the country um with a two-year-old it was just awful in the court you know it was kind of the pressure of that it was really intense um so I think my drinking just started to be like a a crutch for the first time because it wasn't me going out and having fun with the girls or on a date it it was actually me sitting at home and being sad and lonely and angry and all these horrid feelings which were just amplified by the booze and so I'd say that's my relationship as such kind of going through Um, and then it just got to a stage I'd, I'd actually won court very you know very happy to have won and I came home and I expected, I suppose, to be better, you know, to be fixed because I, I was home. And actually, alcohol had such a hold over my life by that point that I wasn't better. Um, and that is when I then kind of suppose saw the light. And I was like, Jesus, something has to give here and it's going to have to be the booze because that's that is the common factor in every issue I've got going on. Um, so I suppose that's like an outline on my journey of booze um, as such, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um God, what strikes me there is just that awareness that you had. I mean, listening to your story sounds like a lot happened in a really short amount of time. Um, And yeah, that can be such a trigger, can't it, for drinking? Um, I know whenever I've had traumatic things that have happened in my life, Mm -hmm. alcohol definitely became a crutch. And I think... Mm -hmm. I think it does a good job in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, it kind of feels like it's fixing the problem, 
it's kind of pushing it out the way, I guess, and, and, yeah. and almost taking it out of view. But obviously, like you say, there is this element of it being a depressant. It's it's a sedative. It's just sort of numbing, isn't it? But mm. for you to come back and recognize <laughs> fairly quickly uh, that, you know, that was not serving you. I think that's really commendable. And yeah, having that awareness is something that I think that perhaps a lot of people do struggle with. I, I do think that, because how old are you again? Sorry, 26, nearly 27, are you? Almost 27, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I know when I was 26, 27, I'd been traveling around Australia and I came back and I drank every day pretty much in mm. Australia and it was very full on. And I got away with it because a lot of people, everybody else was doing the same. It was, yeah. it was my normal. When I came back, um, that yeah, it was difficult to readjust to being more of a sort of inverted commas normal drinker, maybe just drinking at weekends. But I didn't have that real awareness. I just carried on. <laughs> and for me, I carried on until I was 39 or, yeah. you know, maybe 40. So well done to you, really, like to have that sort of moment of clarity so quickly so what what did the drinking if you don't mind me asking what did it sort of look like in that later in the later stages if you like were you drinking every day was it you know were you drinking wine what what did it sort of look like for you so to be honest with you like so I I would class myself as an alcoholic I refer to myself as an alcoholic I believe um you know I am absolutely in that category I know there's a big gray area there but I really was like well I'm not alcoholic because I don't drink every day and I don't drink first thing in the morning and I don't get withdrawal and it's really easy because when you're defending drink you can come up with every excuse under the sun as to why it's not the problem and why you don't have the issue with it so towards the end of it while still in Ireland it was wine um, because that got me drunkest you know we all mm. remember the wine days Jesus um, yeah. <laughs> so it would be I used to buy a bottle and then I would realize that I would actually probably want two and then I might get a couple of like I think oh well I mustn't have more than two bottles of wine so I'll get some ciders and something so this would kind of go on and they say with alcoholic drinking and I mean I don't really like the word because I think it puts people off if you don't have to be alcoholic you can just have a bad you know time of drink and um, they say you drink until you pass out, which was probably me, until you're kicked out, so the bar, or until you run out of physical booze. So, I mean, for me, if I related to that so much, and I hope someone else listening might go, oh, gee, you know, actually. So drinking would be tears, you know, beside myself, very much the pity part. Oh, you know, I, I'm so miserable listening to sad songs, kind of like Bridget Jones, you know, that all by yourself, that was me. Um and then when I got home, lockdown had lifted. And because I'd had such a bad experience, I was really kind of like, my family would go, you know, you go out with your friends, you have fun, you haven't, you know, had anything nice for a while. And it was just carnage. You know, the level of drink, it was like I couldn't get enough. And um, the blackout, I don't think in the last few months of my drinking, I don't think I drank once without being in blackout. And... Um, the reckless behaviour, you know, my mum used to say it was like Jekyll and Hyde, the things I would do drunk, I would never, and people would say, you know, oh, do you remember doing this? And I'd always be like, no, I didn't do that. Did I do that? 
So, you know, I started to get this altered kind of personality and my friendship group had shifted as well because the people that wanted to be around me were also problem drinkers because the people who go for happy hour and go home, they didn't really want to know because they were like, you know, oh, Dawn's a bit wild, or Dawn will be up all night, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the last kind of warning sign for me was I couldn't stop. So say if I did a night out with the girls, you know, I'm young enough, I go out, you know, till four in the morning, I would be looking for another drink when I got home. And that is the progression of alcoholism for me, because that wasn't me. And if when I was a rep, I did used to get drunk, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't uh, kind of St. Mary or anything, but I wouldn't have this craving. And this is, I really believe it's progression. And I believe if I picked up tonight, that progression would be even worse than the last time I drank. I would just want another one and another one. And, and it's it's horrid because when you're already drunk, I mean, the damage you could be doing to yourself, you know, it's a blessing. You know, something was watching over me because I definitely deserve to have, you know, this kind of alcoholic seizures or something. So I think that would characterise my drinking towards the end, just red flag after red flag and being aware of it and not knowing why and not being able to stop that. Those combination, it was just a horrific, horrific time. Oh, yeah, I, I, oh, it makes me shudder a bit, really, uh, thinking about those blackouts. And I mean, yeah, and also as well, I think good for you for um, identifying the way that you want to identify. I do feel sometimes like we can get a bit caught up on the labels. Yeah. And actually, it doesn't matter. You, you're absolutely right. Um if you have a problematic relationship with drinking, no matter what that looks like, whether that's once a week or 15 drinks a day, mm-hmm. you have the permission to face it and to try and change and to try and do something about it. And, you know, also as well with the word alcoholic, um, yeah, I, I don't identify as an alcoholic personally, but that's my choice not to. Yeah you do identify as an alcoholic and that's that's your choice and I think what's really nice about most of this community is people are accepting of how people want to define themselves because sometimes on my posts I've had the occasional comment um, of somebody telling me what I am or what my drink (laughs) is (laughs) thank you yeah exactly but but I know now I know enough to know that that person is actually mirroring their own relationship usually and that it's got nothing to do with me perhaps I have hit a nerve with with one of my posts and I'm sure I do do that over time (laughs) because I'm very honest and yeah sometimes uh can be quite my post can be quite dark almost but when somebody writes something about what they believe I am or am not, I have learned to ignore that and not to not get upset about it. But also I realise it's a reflection of their own issues, perhaps. So I think that, you know, I do think there's a little bit too much um, stigma and stigma yeah exactly and actually you're absolutely right you know what we don't want to do is to put people off that might be in this what I identify as this gray area zone yeah but for my own reasons but we don't want to put people off that that aren't you know maybe drinking to inverted commas alcoholic level because Mm. that can keep someone trapped for longer than they 
want to be and and that's that's damaging so yeah so I just think it's 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 a it's a good point to to sort of bring bring that up and to explore that a little bit um Mm -hmm. and so in terms of um so I understand towards the end then it it sounded like it was becoming a bit of a car crash um Mm -hmm. and 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 you must have been getting those sort of like feelings of oh I need to do something about this I you know probably should stop um so what did you do how did you get sober so and I will say as well something that you always address on your post that I don't think enough people post early sobriety is horrific your entire life has to change it isn't just putting down the bottle you know friendship groups social life um you know even things like sleep debt and dealing with your guilt, remorse, shame, you know, early sobriety is horrid. I'm absolutely, a, a, you know, please, please get sober, but it's not to be underestimated. You know, it's a whole transformation. So I think um, not only was I recognizing the signs, but my family were, um, I'm incredibly close to my mum. And it got to a point where they were trying to excuse my behavior because of the court, the high court uh, process, the you know, the isolation, the lockdown, the, you know, all these horrible things. But if there's one thing I've learned, every single person has horrible things that go on at some point, you know, and I was very much a drinker that was, if you had my life, you know, in the smoking area, you would drink like this too. And actually, Mm. you know, there is another option. And I think so... I got to a point, it was actually coming up a year that I went into an AA room. And the reason I chose AA was because my drinking was so destructive. And I believe that if I carried on drinking to how I was, that I, you know, it could actually turn fatal. I I really thought I was heading towards, you know, whatever route that took, there was something that was about to give. So AA for me was like, um, I can get to a physical meeting and it's it's a room of people who, are sober who have done sobriety and you know some of them some of the members they're like grandparents and they've been sober 30 years I I, it was great to go and be like how did you do it and so I went to my first meeting about this time last year um, and I went there drunk because obviously I couldn't go sober um, and I listened and I really kicked against it I struggled with the age gap um and I thought, no, this isn't for me, but I'll keep going to keep my family happy and I'll just secretly drink because no one will no one will guess, no one will be on to me. Of course they were. And so it took me a couple of months to find my feet. Then I started to want to give up. And I think, you know, AA does the 12 steps and I don't really want to preach too much about AA because like you said, I, I think it can drive some people away and it's, I don't want to do that at all. It's just my path I've found worked for me. But step one is just that acceptance that you can't drink, you know, that it just doesn't work for you. And that took me so long to get. And I I was really kind of, I, well, what am I going to do on a Friday and Saturday? And mm. well, what about brunches? And oh, my goodness, weddings were like, it was all these barriers. And actually now, you know, I'm looking back at that point. I mean, that that's the drink. It's this little kind of person on your shoulder going, no, it won't be very much fun. And it is you know now I'm in the other bit it's actually more fun just like you you know on all your posts it's like you're just on a holiday with the kids and it was fun Mm -hmm. you know I think there's a real whether it's media or social media you've got to be drunk you have to have a drink Mm -hmm. in your hand I mean you wouldn't have these pictures holding a diet coke would you you know whereas everyone's got a cocktail I don't get that I don't understand it so yeah so I got sober I managed a couple of months um because you kind of are on a pink fluffy cloud to start with, I think, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not drinking anymore and I'm really good and look at me. And then the feelings creep in of, 
you know, lonely or you've had a bad day. And I started to have the same cravings. So I relapsed. My last relapse is coming up for four months. And it wasn't a dramatic relapse. It was just um, I had a glass of Prosecco. I'd passed an exam. All the girls, we had, um, you know, it's a nursing exam. We all went out and had a bottle of Prosecco. But the difference was I carried on. Mm -hmm. And I ended up crying. And, you know, and I had my son that night. And my mum came round and had kind of for me. And I think that was my rock bottom because I actually didn't want to drink. And I remember thinking, why am I drinking? You know, and that was a conscious thought, even though I was drunk just before blackout. Um, and um, I was also aware of, you know, my son is old enough to recognise it now. He was uncomfortable if I would have a glass of wine. He was, I wouldn't say on edge because, you know, by the grace of God, he was never, you know, kind of collateral damage in that sense. But he was always aware that mummy wasn't mummy, if that makes sense. You know, no. there was just slightly amiss and because I love him you know the most in the world he's my little boy I there's the resentment crept into me well why can't I stop why isn't he enough why why can't I just say no why can't I stop drinking what all these things and I had to have that rock bottom step because that then gave me kind of the kick up the bum as such mm. to actually work at my sobriety it's not so much putting the bottle down but engaging in sober communities removing myself from toxic friendship groups who you know you say oh I'm not drinking now should we go for coffee I'm still waiting to hear from them um <sighs> you know uh, <laughs> going to meetings you know that was what worked for me I was going to as many meetings as I could I was doing online meetings just completely immersed myself in the sober community and that is what got me sober you know as much as AA in the program me engaging with other like-minded people and there are loads of them out there you know even in their 20s if you're listening to this and you're you know you're the same as me like well I'm a bit young for giving up booze I might wait 10 years it's really popular it's actually coming in now it's being recognized um so I'd say that's how I got sober but one day at a time I'm sober today and I hope to be sober tomorrow but I do love being sober. <laughs> and that definitely helps, right? That, you know, that yeah. enthusiasm, <laughs> that enthusiasm is going to carry you a long way. And it, it carried me, you know, to where I am and it just grows and grows. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I, I think that story is, yeah, it's, it's so relatable. And when you were talking, I was thinking about when you said about you had that glass of Prosecco and you didn't even really want it and you almost you live I've had situations like that before where you're almost sort of living in parallel there's your drunk self and then there's the sort of there's the side of you that just doesn't want to drink that's almost looking at the drunk version of you and then like judging you and um and I, I think I remember there were some times when my drinking was particularly bad which actually wasn't just before I gave up it was when I was a single parent that's when I was at my most lonely um and that's when I probably you know I, I did drink more than normal to sort of soothe myself and as, as a crutch as you've mentioned I remember sometimes that I would write notes to myself when I was drinking like I really want to stop drinking and sometimes I would cry because I felt so disappointed that I wanted to get through tonight without a drink and yet uh, here I am as soon as the sun popped out of behind, from behind a cloud and it's 4 30 and I just had that thought of having a drink and then within nanoseconds I cemented that thought into an action and yeah. by five o'clock I was drinking wine 
And then by seven o'clock, I was crying into my glass because I was so annoyed at myself. You know, it, like, why, why can't I just stop? <laughs> why yeah. can't I just, you know, I had all the same. I wonder if everybody goes through that. You know, that is part of the push pull, I think, of wanting to stop drinking when you really want it. But then you just can't quite grasp it for whatever reason. Well, I say for whatever reason, alcohol is very addictive. <laughs> it is designed yes. to make you want it. And there's all sorts of, you know, phys- physiological, can I say that word? But, you know, reasons why <laughs> you want to keep drinking. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I think when you get to that point of, and I love that actually, but I didn't realise that the first step of AA, because I personally haven't been through it, but the acceptance bit, I think that's so important um Mm -hmm. and that's the bit that it sounds like you had to get you had to work on that in the you know even when you started AA it's been a bit of a journey up until the last four months where you've had continuous sobriety and you're feeling strong but it's yeah yeah, it's it's hard to get to that acceptance part isn't it what do you think I mean I don't know this is probably it could be a difficult question but what do you think really made that click for you um do you know, it's something that I'm so ashamed of. And I think that I, anyone who's, I'm not even going to say a problem drinker, anyone who has been drunk will have moments of shame and regret and things that have happened. Um, I was blackout that last time and um, I ended up passed out on the sofa, you know, after after my crying and after my, you know, oh, my life surrenders. And um, my mum said that my little boy said, Mummy, stop it. Mummy, wake up now. Mummy, mummy, stop pretending. And that, that got to me on so many levels because number one, I didn't want to be passed out. So why was I? Number two, that's my favourite person in the whole world who I am on this earth to look after, who thinks I'm messing around, you know, who's like, she's she's having a laugh. And I think but the combination of that and then also things were starting to come together there was more than one thing happening at times and my family had started to really have enough. Um, I had had a relationship breakdown because of my drinking. Um, I was doing a, my access to nursing course and I'd missed an exam and I was behind on an assignment. There was all these things. And I think enough little things for some people, it's a big thing, you know, for some people it's, um, having their license took off them or um you know losing a loved one and then that just clicks for them for me it was kind of an accumulation of loads of little horrible little bits and um, but my final yeah my, the, the last time I drank was in the morning and my mum told me that and she didn't tell me to be mean she didn't tell me to get me to stop drinking she just actually said oh Connor said this and that just for whatever reason that was my moment of right I'm done I've had enough now so I I, I think that would be my kind of rock bottom and and start but you know thank goodness it happened and thank goodness it wasn't worse because that gave me the the platform then to to start my sobriety properly and get that step one and like you said acceptance is key and it it doesn't have to be acceptance of an alcoholic it's acceptance that alcohol doesn't benefit you and that Mm. without alcohol your life is probably going to be better and that's a hard step especially for someone younger yeah I can imagine and for me it was acceptance that I couldn't moderate that that was the thing that I needed to you know I had tried so hard to moderate I was trying to moderate for well about 20 years and I just again like you I had 
a seemingly in, insignificant moment, really. I just got too drunk one night out with girlfriends and woke up and that was it. I, I just had that acceptance. I just thought, I, I now I know, <laughs> for whatever reason it was that day, but now I know I can't moderate and I need to stop because I'm going to make myself really ill with this. Um, you know, I was terrified of getting breast cancer. Like my you know, mum, my mum died of breast cancer and she was a really, really, really heavy drinker and, and big smoker. I'd smoked for 25 years, you know, and I just thought I'm just heading down this same path here. And, yeah. and I just, I was terrified of having that moment that you, that you had as well of my kids seeing me, uh, you know, passed out things that my friends laughed at. Yeah. I just, I just, I knew that I just didn't want my kids to, to see that. Um, no. So, yeah, I was the same. I really, really relate to your, um, when you said that was a really dark time, but thank God I had it <laughs> because thank God you got to that place where that, you know, that's enough. You, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so if we think back uh, about, well, as I think back, actually, it's not too far, but what's the not first? Too long. <laughs> yeah, what's the first? I mean, hopefully this will be really good because you, you know, you're just almost sort of fresh out of that 100 day period in a, in a way. What yeah. was the first 100 days like for you? So to be honest, I would describe the first 100 days as a complete roller coaster because um, I have, she's my sponsor through AA so she's basically like a best sober friend ever who helps me with my step work etc and I remember her warning me and she said the best thing about sobriety is you get your emotions back and she was like but the worst thing about sobriety is you get your emotions back so you're dealing with things you know if you screw up a piece of paper and you throw it in a waste paper basket and that really crumples up very fast and full so with drinking that's what I was doing with every thought feeling emotion and I was just scramble throw and what I ended up with was an overflowing basket so I had to go back through and you know straighten them out acknowledge them you know oh that's sad that hurt you know I'm angry about that and just feel it and not drink on it so that was a challenge for me um, and I also I did do therapy alongside because there was a bit of kind of underlying trauma I suppose from the the court experience and the you know the whole isolation of that I mean lockdown was horrendous for everyone but being in a different country with court kind of looming all the time was just it was hard so my kind of my therapy worked alongside my, my early sobriety um I think I didn't really trust that I was going to stick to it. That was quite a hard thing for me. I kept thinking, oh, you know, oh, I've made it to 10 days, 20 days, 30 days. And I'm thinking, oh, but it it could be the last day and I really don't want it to be. So I think I was in a lot of fear and I still have that fear, but I believe that's a healthy fear. I think you should be scared of picking up a drink. That, you know, I know if I pick up a drink that the things that I've got now will, you know, poof, they'll be gone because the, the drink is the issue. So I think a lot of fear... But to be honest with you, you know, the later bit of the 100 days, there's just like this kind of like there is in a pub at 11 o'clock. There's a complete turn of emotion and, and atmosphere. And I I started to get relationships back with my family. I started to be able to, be, you know, hold my head a bit higher. I started to have self-respect. I started to, you know, see myself that it wasn't, you know, the bad person that drink had made me. And I saw a lovely post on Instagram and it said, like, when you put down the bottle and you, you know, you get a, a kind of a while behind you, it's like going back to yourself pre-drink and being like, oh, hey, it's you. Let's carry on. Because for me, since I got, you know, had an issue with drink, 
that wasn't me. And I, I've lost a chunk of time where, you know, I've made bad decisions and all the rest. So the hundred days rewarding, difficult, um, and long, <laughs> you know, it was a longer hundred days that because it, when you put down something that's your crutch, that's your best friend slash enemy, it's yeah, it's a long, a long road, but I would say, having gone past the 100-day mark. And I expected, like, fireworks on day 100, by the way. I was like, I'm going to wake up and, you know, the sun will be coming onto my pillow and I'm going to get a trophy. That didn't happen. But <laughs> um, I think the reward of reaching 100 is really big because it's not a fluke anymore. Um, but, yeah, the 100 days, worth it, but hard work. Oh, I think that's a perfect description, actually. Yeah, it's a very, very realistic description of, of what it can be like. Um, it made me laugh when you said that about the 100 days. I, I felt like that. Where's my trophy? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Where's my trophy? But um, yeah, but I think, I think there's something subtle and refreshing and full of pride when you do it quietly for yourself. And I think that goes a really long way, actually. Um, yeah, amazing. What do you think has been the hardest bit for you in sobriety? Oh, um, do you know what I found the hardest? And I, I'm not sure if this is the same for everyone. I really struggled with the shame because when I sobered up properly, not just two days worth, but two months, etc. I started to remember things I'd done, things I'd said, how I behaved. You know, I cleared out my phone of old pictures and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, did I really look like that and do that? You know, nothing really illegal or anything, just really horrendous behaviour, not ladylike, not how a mum should act, in my opinion, all that kind of stuff. And I think that that was the hardest bit because those feelings would suggest me back to the bottle. So when I started to think, oh gosh you know I'll give you an example when I was pegging the washing out you know before like Connor went to nursery so about seven in the morning and I'd hear pigeons you know oh it put the fear of God in me and it's still I'm still aware because I would I would instantly be back to that time in the morning where I just about finished drinking and oh I was full of shame and why hadn't I stopped and I think that 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 horror that fills me when I hear the pigeons, I mean, it is fading now, thank goodness. Um, But that took me ever such a long time to be able to process in a healthy way because it would just take me back to really dark times and places and shame and guilt and remorse. And, you know, that, that was the hardest bit of sobriety for me because the easiest way to get rid of that feeling would have been to pick up a bottle and repeat. I mean, it, it, it bonkers for me, alcohol. It, it suggests to you that, do you know how to fix the issue of you being a bad drunk is to get drunk? I, what? So that would be my hardest bit of sobriety. But there is, there is other elements that are challenging. But for me personally, it took me ever such a long time to and forgive myself, you know, for, let it go and say, okay, well, you're, you're doing better now. Yeah, that's such a brilliant point. The shame thing it can be so heavy and I see that a lot when I reply to messages I think people feel so wrapped up in their own shame and and I did I I felt wrapped up in my own shame and it is facing it is the path to healing that I think when you accept who you were and who you are now and who you're trying to be um, Mm -hmm. I think that can do wonders for that shame element Um, I have had 
those horrible moments with those birds tweeting. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody pigeons. (laughs) Oh my God. The birds, I always feel as well, like the birds are really happy that they're almost (laughs) mocking you when I've had times when I've been in a taxi coming home at that time or, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been in an after party and those birds they were way too happy <laughs> so it's a really funny feeling isn't it when you hear those birds and, and you're sober and you just it does take you back to that place I, I've had that a few times actually uh and one of them has been quite recent as well so it's, it's just yeah it's, uh, yeah it's 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 weird the way that it almost stays trapped inside you I think some of that yeah sort of feeling or trauma or shame or embarrassment yeah um what has been the biggest gain for you in sobriety oh and you know that's the easiest question to answer well there's I'd say there's two answers for me number one is I like myself you know I don't think that I'm the bee's knees I don't think I'm the best person and goodness me I still have my days when I'm cranky or when I make a bad call or or I think oops shouldn't have said that but the difference is now I've got the conscience where I might go back to that person and say do you know what actually I've thought about it maybe I wasn't right or I would have the conscience to think well today's just a bad day and tomorrow might be better you know it's without that chemical imbalance I can handle when I was drinking and this is something my family couldn't kind of get their head around I would have amazing news and drink into blackout and then I'd have bad news and drink into blackout I just couldn't cope with any trough at all I could just Mm. about get by on average you know nothing major happening but happy sad raining sunny Mm. (laughs) one lost anything Mm. and so that's that's a big game for me just being able to deal with life on life's terms you know it's we all know ourselves life isn't sunshine and rainbows it it has its bad times we all have um, bad experiences but I'd say aside from my own personal gain there um, of not hating myself mm-hmm. <laughs> um, would be my family and my son. You know, there was a really funny experience actually on Friday. So I dropped my little boy. He's at daddy's for his summer holiday and I dropped him to Belfast Airport. And I normally am really good. I always text my mum when, when we're about to take off and I say, oh, all boarded, see you soon. And I didn't because, in fact, talking of alcohol, there was an incredibly rowdy stag do on this flight. It was, they were arrested. It was horrendous. But I was so busy kind of watching this unfold that I hadn't texted her and I naughtily hadn't put my phone in aeroplane mode. So long story short, I have a, like an app on my phone and my mum. So we're linked. So I can and we use it for stuff like she, I'll look to see if she's still at work or shall I pop round. And if she says she's on the way, I'll look to see how far away she is to put Connor's shoes on. So it's a tracker. But the tracker doesn't say how high up you are. It just says whereabouts you are. So unbeknownst to me, mum's having a bit of a worry because I've not texted her. And she um, she rang me and I was quite literally above the clouds. No idea how that signal worked. And I answered, you know, yes, where are you? Because she'd watched my dog fly to like Lisbon in Northern Ireland. And she was like, oh my God, she's in a car. She's drinking, she's gone. But the lovely thing is now, is that that is mum's first thought, but then her second thought is, no, it's not. And I think, because initially I was a bit like, mum, why would you think that? But of course she would. She's had years of me doing things like that, you know, missing flights. And I remember randomly driving off to like London one night with strangers for a party. I mean, she's lived through all of that. So my biggest gain is the fact now that if I don't text my mum back straight away, 
um, or if mum if mum lets herself into my house, that her she's not in fear of what she's going to find. You know that giving that back to my mum, I think is just huge for me. You know, I'm I've mended or I'm in the process of mending because it's a long long term fix. You know, when you damage people through your drink, it, it isn't a sorry, it isn't a you know, oh, I'm I'm three months four months sober. It, it, there's no, it's just working on it gradually. And I think, you know, I I see my sister now. Um, I'm back to being Auntie Dawn. and I adore my nieces and nephews and they didn't see me for a while because my family knew I was erratic. They couldn't trust that I wouldn't do something, say something, you know, or behave in a certain way. Um, so I think that's my biggest gain, that my family are just starting and it is only just, like I say, my mum had that panic on Friday, bless her, but it's, it's the fact that they're starting to think, probably Dawn's busy or maybe Dawn's asleep. That's why there's no answer. You know, and if we go to Dawn's for a cup of tea, if we surprised her, we're not going to be coming into a dirty, you know, empty beer bottles, whatever, or strangers on the sofa, you name it. I mean, gosh, I think anyone with problem drinking can relate to that. The horror when you come downstairs and it's mess and cigarette butts and dirty things. So my biggest gain would be gaining the love, trust and respect back from my family and for myself. Oh, I think you've done amazing. Really do. I, I think that's so lovely that you've, you know, you, you've learned to like yourself, which is a very big thing, I think, in life. Um, took me a very long time to like myself as well. I really love myself now. Probably, Yay, good. Annoyingly, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I really back myself now. But I think to like yourself, it's so simple that, isn't it? To like yourself to trust yourself and to gain the trust of the important people around you. What a wonderful thing to achieve in four months. And, you know, imagine what's going to be like in four years or 10 years. It just keeps growing, doesn't it? It just keeps yeah. giving the gift that keeps on giving. Um, Absolutely. I think you should be really, really proud. I think that's amazing. Thank um, you. So what would be your top three tips to get sober or stay sober? So I'm going to try and do them generic. Obviously, I'm I am a massive fan of AA. AA has saved my life, and it, the process of AA works for me. But if I take what we do in AA and I put it in like general terms, then my tips would be surround yourself. They say stick with the winners. Surround yourself with people, especially early on, sober people with good, strong sobriety. Because I, I made friends with someone who was like four days sober. That was a car wreck. We went out together. You know, so make sure you go for someone with a bit more behind them. Um, and people, I try now, I surround myself with people who I admire, who I'd love to be like, who I look at their life and their sobriety. It doesn't matter if they're 60, 70. If I look at them and I think, gosh, you know what? That's That's where I want to end up surround yourself with them cut off your bad ties I've had to let go of friends I've had since school I've nothing dramatic you don't have to fall out with them just don't surround yourself with them and I think tip number two would be engage with maybe sober books sober podcasts and Instagram's amazing you know I made this account and I I just typed in the word sober and there were thousands if not I'm going to say coming up for a million accounts of people you know documenting their sobriety journey talking about sobriety promoting sobriety and for a whole host of reasons you know health alcoholism whatever so I'd say that would be my tip number two just immerse yourself as much as you can um sober everything I love podcasts I love you know books not AA books I think I've got one and it was 
oh, I can't remember the name. Mm, that's going to annoy me. It's really brilliant, though. I will send it to you, Terry, and you can share. And, um, you know, just text about how people got sober. Because the other thing is, I think sobriety is trial and error. So what works for one person might not work for you. But if you keep looking, you might read a book and think, oh, hey, that actually, and I've heard this, you know, this, this book that I'm talking about, someone actually got sober because it just made sense to them. It just, something clicked and that was their thing. So shop about, do loads of different angles. And I think step number three, and it, these are tips to stay sober, are they, or to get sober? Either, yeah. Either. I think just be kind to yourself because, you know, people who, I always think people who come and they say, I need to give up drink, they've got a dark moment or a dark few moments and um, and when you enter sobriety it's a really horrid hard uphill climb to start with so just remember why you're doing it give yourself when you're feeling rubbish you know treat yourself get a bath bomb whatever it is just be kind because I think I, and initially when I first started and I tried to get sober you know I gave myself such a hard time um, and you know I, I, I don't want to promote relapse at all but if relapses do happen, go back, re-engage, you know, find out why, what went wrong, why did you drink? Okay, you know, talk to people who have good sobriety. What would you suggest? How would you go about it? I, I just think sobriety, we're so blessed with Instagram and podcasts and books. There is so many other people, you're not alone. There's a whole, you know, I love it, I call it like the tribe. There's a whole tribe of people who want to be sober and I mean, look at what you do, Terry. I think sober people who have any sobriety, even at four months like me, we want to help someone else. So, you know, you're never going to be an issue. You're never going to be a pain. But if you really want to stop drinking, absolutely be kind to yourself, engage. And one day at a time, I, I can manage being sober to bedtime. Can I manage planning my birthday in November sober? Probably not. I need to just focus today, sleeping, waking up sober. But I think they'd be my three tips. Yeah. Oh, I think they're brilliant, brilliant tips. Oh, so we're nearly at the end. So how can people find you and share your journey? Yes, yeah, so um, I've got an Instagram account. So it's Dawn Haff. So it's D-A-W-N-H-A-F-F. Really, really bland, boring Instagram. <laughs> I'm still there. Um, but I, you know, if there's anyone that's listened to this and thought, gosh, there's a bit of me in there or I've got a question about maybe AA or anything like that, like, please do reach out on my Instagram. Um, and just, I think if you're following Terry, you've got a, a good start and you're sober, sober superstars. <laughs> Thank you so much. Dawn, it's been absolutely incredible. It's been so nice to get to know you. We have been chatting a little bit in the background and uh, I'm delighted that all the bribes of sugar and iPads have paid off and my children have uh, <laughs> kept quiet for this very important hour to record your story. Um, so, yeah, you heard you heard what Dawn said, people. Please follow her at Dawn Half. And uh, I really look forward to sharing more of your journey, Dawn. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been loads of fun. <laughs> absolute pleasure and to everybody else have a marvelous week and thank you see you next time thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on instagram by sending a message to at sassy sober mum you can also find helpful tools and resources on my website sassysobermum.com 
If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.